Hey, imagine if all your frustrations about advertising your business could be solved right now. You should know that podcast listeners are more engaged in higher converting than any other advertising medium. So try AdHub today and reap the rewards of Spreaker's self-advertising platform. It makes it as effortless as ever to be heard by thousands, regardless of the listening app they use. Visit Spreaker.com forward slash AdHub. That's S-P-R-E-A-K-E-R.com forward slash AdHub and start using your advertising dollars in an impactful way. The Leslie Marshall Show, a true democracy in talk radio. Of, for, and by you, the people. Live from our nation's capital, it's Deadline D.C. with Brad Bannon. Welcome to Deadline D.C. with Brad Bannon. I'm Brad Bannon. I'm a national democratic strategist, a columnist for The Hill in Washington, D.C., and a political analyst for news radio stations KNX in Los Angeles and WGN in Chicago. My company, Bannon Communications Research, polls for progressive issue groups, labor unions, and Democrats. BannonCR.com is the sponsor of today's show. If uh, you want to learn more about me or my political polling company, or if you have any ideas or suggestions for Deadline DC, the best way to reach me is on Twitter. My Twitter handle is at Brad Bannon. This week on Deadline DC, we're going to uh, start off and discuss the progressive reaction to the early stages of Joe Biden's presidency with John Nichols uh, from the nation. Then uh, Edwith Theogene and Mark Rimaldi uh, join me on the provocative progressive political panel. Uh, first, we're going to start with this clip from Joe Biden talking about his uh, American jobs plan. I know a lot of you watching at home are thinking that, well, you know, if these jobs are for you, well, you know, all the folks who feel left out as the economy is moving so rapidly, everything's changing, and you're wondering whether what you did before, is it going to be available to be done in the future? Well, let me tell you something. If you feel left out and forgotten in a rapidly changing economy, let me speak directly to you. Nearly 90 percent of all the infrastructure jobs that this is going to create won't require a college degree. 75 percent of them won't even require an associate's degree. These are jobs that can't be outsourced, can't be outsourced. They just require something we've got in good supply here in Louisiana. Hard work, grit and sweat like the workers that are here today and like all of the people, you know, and grew up with. That, of course, is President Biden. That's from his uh, speech to a joint session of Congress uh, on the American jobs plan. Uh, John, uh, the president said that uh, 80% of the jobs that would be created uh, by his uh, plan would go to uh, Americans who don't have a college degree, uh, people, uh, at least uh, white Americans who don't have college degrees, voted overwhelmingly for Donald Trump in 2020. So Republicans in D.C. should be stumbling all of themselves to support the Biden jobs program, right? Well, 
They're not, uh, as uh, you as you will uh, perhaps not be surprised by. Uh, look, the the simple reality is that Biden's plan does scare the Republicans, and it scares them for a good reason. It does something that Democrats have often neglected to do in the past. It begins a new presidency by focusing clearly on job creation. And job creation is a huge deal, uh, not just in the current moment coming out of COVID, but in the general sense, if your administration can be associated with good job creation, and especially from its early stages, uh, that's politically very, very uh, powerful. And so I think the Republicans are looking at this and thinking, wow, you know, Biden's actually on to something here. He's got a lot of good ideas. These are these are strong proposals that he's put forward. And so, yeah, they've been incredibly resistant and obviously voting against bills when they get the chance to. But also promising a filibuster that will prevent the Senate from moving anything big. Uh, That doesn't mean that Biden has no options, but it does mean that it's going to be very hard to do this. Uh, Either they're going to have to undo the filibuster, number one. Number two, uh, find some way to do this via reconciliation, uh, which is how they did the American Rescue Plan. Or three, negotiate some sort of uh, working agreement with enough Republicans to get it passed. I'd counsel on one final note that, that number three is a very dangerous game. Because it was in negotiations with the Republicans during the Obama administration that many of the strongest components of Obama's proposals were lost. And so uh, Biden should be very, very careful about the negotiations. Uh, Yeah, he should be. uh, But uh, it seems to some extent uh, that Joe Biden has learned some lessons from the days that Barack Obama was president. And uh, he seems uh, reluctant to give up. I believe just the Americans job plan uh, comes in at two point three trillion dollars. Uh, and that doesn't even count the uh, the secondary uh, program, the American Families Plan that comes in another one eight trillion dollars. I believe I saw over the weekend that uh, Mitch McConnell is willing to go up for a total of uh, eight hundred uh, billion, which is far short of what Joe Biden proposes. So it'll be interesting to see if he learned his lesson from the uh, his days in the Obama administration. We'll find out soon, I guess. The first thing I'd like to uh, chat about is uh, that uh, you uh, published an interview you did with uh, Congressman Jamal Bowman from New York City, who's part of the squad. And I read the interview and my general impression is that uh, progressives are happy with what Joe Biden proposed, but they'd like to do him a lot more. Why don't you talk, talk to us about that interview? Yeah, I think there's a couple things at play there. And and, uh, Jamal Bowman is a new congressman from New York City and uh, the near end suburbs. Uh, He's hit the ground running as a very progressive member. And he was asked by the Working Families Party to uh, offer a response to the president's speech. I interviewed him uh, as he was preparing his response and then around that time. And what Jamal Bowman said, I thought, was a a very wise uh, and very nuanced approach to this. Very supportive of the president uh, when the president's doing good things and and noting many of the the strengths of the American Rescue Plan as well as the jobs plan and uh, the families plan. And so 
really, in, in many ways, uh, an ardent champion of what President Biden's done so far, but also a wise counselor. And uh, Jamal Bowman is a, a former uh, teacher and principal, so he's he's got the the educator's eye, and uh, he warns that if Biden doesn't keep going big, doesn't keep kind of pushing this out in the right way. There's a tremendous danger that the Republicans will uh, kind of negotiate Biden down from the proposals that he's made. What Jamal Bowman says is you can't do that. You can't, uh, A, show weakness with the Republicans, because if they think they've got an upper hand, they will they will go against you at, in a very aggressive way. Uh, as was proven again by the not just the Obama administration, but also the Clinton administration. But secondly, that um, you have to meet the challenge of the moment. And the moment is one in which uh, big, big proposals that actually do a lot to improve the lives of Americans are A, very, very popular, and B, very, very necessary. So what Bowman was basically saying is, yeah, keep doing what you're doing, Mr. President, but, you know, kind of turn it up to 11, do some more, because at the end of the day, this will work economically and it will work politically. OK, now uh, today, uh, this, uh, this afternoon, uh, Joe Biden is meeting with Senator Joe Manchin uh, from West Virginia at the White House. Uh, actually, I'm going to pick that up after the break. Our guest in this half hour is uh, John Nichols, who's the national political correspondent for the nation. Uh, John has been talking about the uh, progressive reaction to Joe Biden's presidency. Uh, we will have more of Deadline DC and more of John Nichols uh, when we get back from these messages. So don't go anywhere. Uh, we're going to discuss a uh, piece that John wrote about expanding the size of the U.S. House of Representatives. Uh, and uh, also, if we get to it, uh, we'll talk about Liz Cheney, too. We'll be back with uh, more of Deadline D.C. with Brad Bannon right after these messages. So don't go anywhere. We've got plenty of good show and more of John Nichols to go. Welcome back to Deadline D.C. John Nichols of the nation. Uh, welcome back to our radio audience. If you're listening, but you want to watch the show without the breaks for radio silence, you can watch us on periscope.tv at periscope.tv, Brad's front slash Bannon. You can watch us on Facebook at tinyurl.com, front slash BB Facebook Live. And you can also watch us on YouTube at tinyurl.com uh, front slash Brad on YouTube. Uh, John, uh, let's move ahead and uh, discuss. Uh, you wrote a piece this week about Liz Cheney, uh, the uh, now maverick representative for a Republican representative from Wyoming, who is currently for at least the next day or two, uh, the number three person in the GOP House leadership. Uh, but she's uh, about to be deposed because of her failure uh, to submit to the big lie that uh, Joe Biden, uh, I was going to say tweeted, but uh, <laughs> uh, tricked uh, Donald Trump out of re-election in 2016. 
you know, Liz Cheney is very, very conservative. Uh, but and, you know, the interesting thing is they're going to replace her with a representative from New York who I believe is pretty moderate by Republican standards, at least. What's going on here anyway? Well, it's a, you know, as Mark Pocan, the congressman from Wisconsin, said uh, that this is what always happens in cults. You know, the the people who create the cult often end up being disposed by um, some of the folks they thought they were working with. And and that's basically what you've got right here. Liz Cheney is an extreme right wing, uh, vicious and, and very crude political operative who, uh, you know, has frankly mirrored Donald Trump in many of his statements, many of his attitudes, many of his policies. She has voted with Trump. She voted with Trump uh, more than 90 percent of the time during his presidency. Uh, at a far higher level than Elise Stefanik, the woman who they might they apparently want to have replaced Cheney, frankly, at a higher level than Matt Gates or Jim Jordan or Mo Brooks or many of the most right wing members of of the House. And so Cheney has only fallen out with Trump because she has challenged this lie about the election and more power to her for that. That's good. It's there's nothing. I certainly not going to take anything away from her for taking a stand on that. But I counsel people to be very, very careful in assuming that you know Liz Cheney is their friend. She's not. She is uh, a, a mean-spirited and very destructive political player, um, much like Trump in, in many, many ways. It's just that at this point, they happen to be on different pages, and Trump has the power. And that's the key to the whole storyline here, Brad, because the Republican Party has become the Trump Party. And where Liz Cheney still had a little bit of ego and a little bit of conscience, and didn't want to go all in with the Trump thing, at least Stefanik, who's actually split with Trump on many issues in the past, was willing to, to play that part. And so what you're going to see is, a, you know, a little bit of a shuffling of the chairs on what may be the Republican Titanic. They're going to uh, shift out Cheney as chair of the House Republican Conference and shift in Stefanik. The only reason Stefanik is coming in isn't because she's good at what she does. It isn't because she's, uh, you know, a strong conservative even. It is simply because she's agreed to do whatever, you know, Trump and Kevin McCarthy say needs to be done. Wow, that's really weird. I think that it, you're right about the storyline. It's so it's uh, if you are a hardcore conservative but don't like Trump. Uh, that is a worse crime than being a less than ardent conservative who loves Trump. Uh, That's right. Says something about the state of the current GOP. Um, anyway, let's go back to something uh, we talked about at the beginning of the hour. Uh, Joe Biden is meeting uh, with Joe Manchin, a con fairly conservative uh, Democratic senator from West Virginia today. Now, Joe Manchin is the 50th vote, uh, and Joe Biden needs uh, Joe Manchin to support his infrastructure package. Uh, if Manchin doesn't, uh, that means essentially uh, to get it passed, uh, Joe Biden will have to compromise with Republicans. So uh, what do you think that conversation is like today? Well, I can tell you what's going on. Um, look, Manchin favors a lot of infrastructure. And, uh, and, and a pretty big package. 
And so I think what, what Biden's trying to figure out is how much he can get from Manchin, you know, like how, where they're going to find their common ground. Probably even talking about some things that that Manchin wants, uh, because there's no question that that Biden needs him. Uh, the key area of debate or or difference here is probably going to be around the 400 billion dollars in the infrastructure plan for caregiving, and this is a, a fabulous part of the plan. This is a proposal to make sure that the people who give care to our elderly, uh, to people with disabilities are paid a living wage, uh, that they're respected on the job, and that they have you know, some option to join unions. It's, it's a really, really good piece of progress. And the funding would come for all of this through you know, expansion of programs for the elderly, programs for people with disabilities. And it does fit within infrastructure. This is the human infrastructure of our country. Uh, and this is the, the infrastructure of caregiving that, that makes it possible to do all these other things. It's really important for job creation. And so uh, we know that the Republicans want to get rid of that. Uh, they claim it's not infrastructure. They also claim uh, that it's just you know, a liberal wish list. I think what Biden will be trying to do is convince Manchin that this is actually very, very good for an aging state like West Virginia. Uh, very, very good for working class people in West Virginia. And uh, if he can succeed there, then Biden goes from a position of strength uh, when he goes into meetings with Republican senators later in the week. Okay. Uh, you know, let, let me ask you this is probably the last question I have for you before you go. Uh, right now, if you count the American Rescue Plan, which was came in at close to $2 trillion. Uh, you're looking at another uh, $4 trillion as part of Biden's Build Back Better plan. Uh, would you have guessed in your wildest dreams that uh, Joe Biden would have proposed $6 trillion in new spending? <laughs> uh, look, I know that Biden has a, a good regard for the New Deal. And for, you know, a lot of the historic images of the Democratic Party as a, you know, a, a party of government. They went through some tough times during the Obama years when they kind of, it was clear they went a little too small on things. And so he learned from that. But at the end of the day, would you, uh, would I have said to you a couple of years ago, I thought Joe Biden was going to really try to do a new, new deal, that he was going to try and do a new great society that he might well emerge as one of the. Uh, one of those rare Democratic presidents who actually gets that Democrats are supposed to expand the size of government and its reach and its and what it delivers to people. No, I think I would have I would have been skeptical about it. Um, yeah, I would have told you more likely Bernie Sanders than Joe Biden and something like that. Yeah, son of a gun. John, uh, thank you for joining us today on Deadline DC. Uh, we hope we eagerly read your pieces in the nation and I hope our listeners and viewers do too. We'll be back right after these messages with more of Deadline DC with Brad Bannon. Thanks for having me, Brad. Thank you, John. Welcome back to Deadline DC, Brad Bannon. Uh, we're going to start this half hour with a press uh, with a clip. And it's uh, Jamie Gandell from Geo, uh, from CNN reading a statement by uh, uh, Representative Elizabeth Cheney from Wyoming, who is the odd woman out of the GOP these days. 
Here's where she goes after Trump. We can't rebuild the party or the conservative movement on a foundation of lies. We can't embrace the notion the election is stolen. It is poison in the bloodstream of our democracy. The way we win back suburban voters and keep all who voted for us in 2020 is with ideas and policy. We can't be a cult of personality. We can't whitewash what happened on January 6th or perpetuate Trump's big lie. It is a threat to democracy. What he did on January 6th is a lie that cannot be crossed. That is a statement from Representative Elizabeth Cheney from Wyoming, who tomorrow or Wednesday is going to be deposed from her job as the number three Republican in the caucus, the Republican caucus in the House of Representatives. The Republican minority leader, Kevin McCarthy, announced over the weekend that uh, he was trying to get rid of her and he probably will. Uh, this half hour of Deadline DC is brought to you by my company, Bannon Communications Research, which polls for progressive issue groups, uh, labor unions, and Democrats. Something is stinking in the party of Lincoln. Joe Biden's happy hundred days have been a sad time for Republicans. While the new president has unified Americans behind his proposals for building America back better, the Republican Party is consumed by conspiracy theories and the legacy, such sad legacy, of Donald Trump. Joe Biden brings out the best in Americans and Donald Trump brings out the worst. While the 46th president moves the country forward, the GOP is consumed by conspiracy theories and looks backwards to debate the sad legacy of the 45th president. Trump hovers over the future of the Republican Party like a deep and threatening cloud that prevents her party from that prevents his party from seeing the horizon. The GOP is whatever Donald Trump says it is. That's a problem because severe public because of severe public distaste for Trump and his presidency. You can read this column and all my columns to the Hill at muckrack.com front slash Brad Dash Bannon. Now it's time for the provocative progressive political panel. Our guest panelist today is Edwith Edwith Theogene, advocacy director of Generation Progress. Edwith is the uh, head of the youth engagement arm of American Progress. In this role, Edwith works to develop and lead efforts to translate the experiences of young adults and concrete actions to advance progressive policies and increase voter turnout. Joining Edwith on the panel today is progressive political activist Mark Gamaldi. Mark has worked for several Democratic presidential candidates, including Joe Biden. He is also active in campaign finance reform and efforts to promote cancer research. His Twitter handle is at Mark J. Grimaldi. Uh, okay, let's start with this. Uh, Edwith, uh, we are going to, we are tomorrow or Wednesday, the uh, Republican Party is going to unceremoniously uh, depose Elizabeth Cheney from her number three job in the House Republican Caucus. Now, the crazy thing about this 
is she is about as ardent, I was going to say, as crazy conservative as you can get. But despite the fact that the GOP purports to be a conservative party, and she is about as conservative as she can get, uh, she's about to get, uh, you know, dumped uh, because she refuses to big to buy Donald Trump's big lie about uh, being cheated out of the White House in 2020. What does this say about the current state of the GOP at with? I mean, it makes me very, very worried. I think some of the things that are interesting is that obviously I'm not here in support of what the party stands for and, you know, that they have a weak foundation is is okay with me but the sad part it is about it is that in order for us to have a functioning democracy we need a diversity of ideas we need a diversity of solutions so the threat of the the republican party not being able to survive this moment and to um, really become a party that is focused on ideas and policy and not personality like it's so sad that i was listening to the quote that you're reading off and i was like oh i kind of agree on that i think that's probably the only thing we would agree on yeah, it's a very strong statement, too, I thought. Yeah, it is a very strong statement. So it's just fascinating, though, that the party is changing into one that just rallies behind Trump and um, so strongly. So I don't know. Like, it's 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 a fascinating moment considering where the Republican Party came from and how, you know, uh, where we are today, how polarizing everything is. Yeah, it really is. Uh, Mark, uh, care to comment on uh, Liz Cheney's demise? It just goes to show you that this is, you know, the members of Congress, for the members in Congress, um, in the House, obviously, in particular, but I would suspect in the Senate as well, uh, this is still Donald Trump's party. Um, Those who dare to cross him by simply stating that, you know, you shouldn't have an insurrection are thrown out of a leadership position, which is absolutely insane. Um, and her comment that the election wasn't stolen. Um, one is an indisputable fact that the election was not stolen, and two seems like a litmus test for sanity which is and democracy, which is that you should not support a, an insurrection. Um, the fact that those two statements um, would get you kicked out of a leadership position tells you all you need to know about today's Republican Party. It is still the party of Trump, and for Trump, it's whatever serves him. So I don't think those things have changed. And this is the first, I think, big test um, because there really hasn't been any primaries where, you know, you could see one candidate versus another. Um, and in some ways, this is almost um, more of a litmus test than a primary because in a primary, you could argue, oh, well, the candidates have other things to offer besides um, whether Trump supports them or not. Um, but in this case, it's simply can this person stay in their leadership role by making these two, you know, common sense statements that I outlined? And the answer seems to be no, they cannot. So um, I think it actually speaks stronger than than a primary where Trump would throw his support by uh, behind one particular candidate over another. Yep. Uh, Ed, with uh, today, this morning, the Associated Press released a new national poll that showed the president with a 64 percent job approval rating. Uh, it seems to me that after battering Joe Biden all during his presidential race and in the first few months of his presidency, uh, the fact that Joe Biden has a 64 percent job approval rating uh, is pretty compelling. What 
what do you why do you think the uh, president's job rating is so high? I mean, I think with like a lot of the economic recovery plans that he's implemented, he's really come on strong. Like he took on a presidency with so many problems, a global pandemic. At that point, too, when he became president, we knew that there was going to be a huge crash and there needed to be a very strong, swift action in response to how do we rebuild our economy. So a lot of the plans that he's implemented have been really monumental. I mean, the majority of people who've lost their jobs and who've been greatly impacted uh, by the global pandemic um, and this economic moment have been women and women of color. So a lot of the programs you've put into place, I think, have been like really phenomenal. So I assume that that's the connection between the jobs rating and the approval rate as well. So I'm excited to see what more he does in his presidency. Uh, Mark, uh, let me uh, ask you this. Uh, the uh, uh, the president uh, what do you? Why do you think the president's job rating is so high? I was surprised, honestly, when I saw this poll. I expected, you know, I mean, most polls, you know, have them in the fifty, you know, middle to low, high fifties, and this may be this is higher than most. But why do you think uh, Joe Biden has been a success so far? I think it's it's what Edwith outlined the economic. Uh, plans that he has been putting forth, but I also think it's how much he's gotten the pandemic under control. Um, as the, the headline of the poll notes, 71% of Americans approve of his approach to the pandemic, including 47% of Republicans, which is remarkable um, for 47% of Republicans to approve of anything that a Democratic president does in the age of Trump. So um, I know we're coming up on a break, but to me, that's that's the headline of the poll. Um, I haven't seen any number of anything a Democrat does garner that much Republican support any time recently since Trump became the headliner of the party. Okay, we are going to break now. We'll be right back with more of Deadline DC with Brad Bannon and the provocative progressive political panel. Welcome back to Deadline DC with Brad Bannon. We are in the middle of the provocative progressive political panel. Our guests on the panel today are Edward Theogene, who is the advocacy director. There she is, uh, the advocacy director of Generation Progress, which is the uh, youth arm of the Center for American Progress, and our own executive producer, Mark Grimaldi. Uh, let me ask you a question. The uh, president has already got Congress to pass the $2 trillion American Rescue Plan. Uh, which uh, consisted of individual checks, uh, $1,400 checks to uh, millions of Americans, uh, also aid to states, cities, and towns uh, to fight the pandemic. Uh, he has proposed another $4 trillion in spending, about uh, half of it, a little more than half of that, uh, for the American Jobs Plan. Uh, which would create new, new jobs and infrastructure like roads, and bridges, and uh, internet. Uh, he has also uh, 1.8 trillion of that 4 trillion uh, is in the American Families Plan, uh, which would help American families uh, jumpstart their own personal economies after the economic slowdown. Uh, 
the uh, Edwith, uh, how much of that do you think Joe Biden is going to get? I mean, for example, today, uh, Joe, Joe Biden is meeting with Senator Joe Manchin from uh, West Virginia, who is a conservative Democrat, is a little bit shy of uh, some of uh, the president's spending proposals. Uh, do you, and I mean, Manchin is very important because if they're going to pass this thing with Democratic votes in the Senate, they need every Democrat on board, including Senator Manchin. Um, and uh, I don't know what the conversation is like in the White House today, uh, but if uh, the president says, uh, Joe, hey, listen. I'll tell you what, I know you're a little nervous about $4 trillion in new spending. Uh, I need you to support this bill, though. So I'm going to knock off uh, several hundred billion dollars from the $4 trillion package. Are you with me? Uh, let's say the senator from West Virginia says yes. Uh, is that going to provoke a firestorm among uh, progressives who uh, feel that uh, Joe Biden is giving up too much to get this package passed, Edwith? I mean, I would think so. It's really difficult to hear these kinds of conversations where you have like, I mean, it's politics, right? Like this party asking for this thing and then the negotiation happening behind closed doors. But it's like the average person who's struggling to feed their family and take care of their community, they don't care about that. So it's really hard for me to to hear that. Like, in my mind, I'm like, why is Manchin apprehensive of giving the American people what they need? And why does Biden have to negotiate to this extent? Because not only does he have to negotiate within his own party, he now also has to negotiate with Republicans as well. So it's kind of like that that piece of the pie that we're all struggling for just keeps getting smaller and smaller and smaller. So I would hope that there would be some sort of like backlash in terms of like what the negotiation looks like. I think we really need to center the people who are most impacted and the people who need the help, not the egos of political parties. Well, let's put it this way. If you were the president, Edwith, and you may be someday, um, <laughs> I, I don't know. Um, but if you were the president, what would you I'd say? I'd vote for Edwith. Yeah, <laughs> I would. Sorry. Uh, what would uh, you say to the senator if you I, were the president? This is what the people need. This is a great package. This is just a start. Like, we're going to have to come back to the table. If this is not what, like, I'd be curious, like, what does Manchin want to see? What does he think the people need? You know, like, there has to be some place of compromise and a place of compromise that doesn't um, harm the people or put them in an even more negative state. Like, this is a scary time. Like, we're operating off of what, what we think will happen versus, like, what will actually happen. So I would hope, I mean, I'm definitely a person of values and, like, speaking to the heart. So, and Biden has already shown that that's something that he can't do. So I hope that that comes through in his conversation with Manchin. I'm not sure if Manchin has a heart. I think he does. I'll take that back. But you get my point. Yeah. You know, I would try to appeal to to Manchin, and, you know, this is what the people of West Virginia need, and this is what the country needs. Okay. Okay. Let, let me ask you one more question, because uh, I, I asked this of Mark last week. Uh, but uh, one of the things that surprises me is, so far, Joe Biden has uh, asked you know, he's got two trillion dollars for the American Rescue Act. He's asking for four trillion dollars more. 
Uh, one of the things that surprised me is last week, uh, NBC News released a national survey, uh, and it showed much to my amazement. And, you know, I've been around a while, so nothing really amazes me anymore, <laughs> but this did. Uh, after all that, and after uh, Republicans beating, beating the crap out of Joe Biden all through his presidential campaign and through the early months of his presidency for be, being a big spending liberal, only 29% of the Americans in the NBC News poll described Joe Biden as a liberal, which amazed me. I thought it would be significantly higher than that. Uh, why do so few Americans uh, think that a very active and aggressive president isn't a liberal? I mean, I wouldn't describe Biden as a liberal I, I mean, I don't know. Like, I feel like even when with I, six trillion dollars worth of spending proposals, because I don't think liberal goes just is, is just connected to like financial spending and budgeting. Right. Like there are other policies and ways that I wish that Biden could be bolder and stronger. Like, for instance, on reproductive rights and abortion, like I would like him to come out stronger for that. Abortion is under threat throughout this country. I mean, there's been like over 400 restrictions to abortion access. And I feel like when someone can control and decide if and when and how they build their family, um, it helps, you know, support and define uh, their livelihood. So I, I look at that as being like a big crux of a lot of ways that to me, like that is a defining point of being liberal, right? Like how staunchly do you come out for reproductive justice? So it's, I don't know if it's more of like a social issues. It's hard to separate things like social and financial and like budgetary but I mean, in order to put the issues and the programs that we want to see in place, like it all connects back to money. Right. So I think like he has opportunities to prove <laughs> that he's more liberal. And maybe it's like also I just think there's other people that are way more to the left of him than he is. So that's why I wouldn't define him as a liberal. But I guess in comparison, like if you were to look at Biden and Liz Cheney, like, of course, he's like a liberal in comparison to her or in comparison to other folks within the Republican Party. But it's fascinating that this poll sort of revealed that the American people also have that kind of like understanding. Yeah. Uh, let, Mark, let me ask you a different question. Uh, when, if ever, will the GOP be able to get over its assumption, uh, its obsession with Donald Trump and get it, get back to being a regular political party again? Well, if ever. I think there's a one main um, way that I think it would happen is, which is a distinct possibility, is if Trump runs again and loses again in 2024. Yeah, um, and then I think you would see, you know, the party, you know, they would probably move on to someone else. Now, it might be someone like Ron DeSantis or someone who is basically, you know, Trump light. Um, for lack of a better term, um, and maybe then they transition, you know, more towards principles instead of a singular um, person. But I think they're they're going to be at risk of this for a while because um, the party has been ticked towards that. You know, Trump was a culmination of years of right-wing hate media like Rush Limbaugh and Sean Hannity and, you know, just, just those types of things where they were in an echo chamber and now social media has only um, exponentially uh, increased that. I mean, look at the QAnon uh, 
percentage of people in the Republican Party who believe the QAnon conspiracy theory or, or any conspiracy theory for that matter. I think they're very um, they're very um, vulnerable to being duped. The voters are. Um, look at the fact that they didn't think that Fox News was conservative enough because their election night coverage called Arizona for uh, yeah. Joe Biden, who ended up winning Arizona. And, and that was their litmus test, you know, basically fall on bended knee for him or else. So I think that's the most likely scenario. But who knows if that would even do it? I want to. Can I chime in on that? too? Yeah, One thing. Yeah. When there's always this question about like when will the Republican Party be like its old self again and when it will go back to being like Lincoln's party and it's like you have generations of people who only know the Republican Party as it exists today. They've probably seen it like grow into like from the Rush Limbaugh sort of like error and like all of that um, messaging and lies and conspiracy theories and like Trump being the culmination of that. There are people who only know and understand the Republican Party yeah. as that. And with uh, that's all the time we have for today. Thank you to our my guests today, uh, Mark Grimaldi and Edward Theogene on the panel. Also want to thank John Nichols from The Nation who did the first half hour. Thank you very much. I'll talk to you next week. This is your time for a good time. Now go live your life to the funnest. Leave boring behind and come to the place made for nonstop action and excitement. Saginaw Eagles Landing. We're winning big at all your favorite games, tasty bites, and comfy nights all come together. The possibilities are endless, and so is the fun. It's all here waiting just for you. So come on, Michigan, let your fun out. Saginaw Eagles Landing Casino and Hotel. Hey, imagine if all your frustrations about advertising your business could be solved right now. You should know that podcast listeners are more engaged in higher converting than any other advertising medium. So try AdHub today and reap the rewards of Spreaker's self-advertising platform. It makes it as effortless as ever to be heard by thousands, regardless of the listening app they use. Visit Spreaker.com forward slash AdHub. That's S-P-R-E-A-K-E-R.com forward slash AdHub and start using your advertising dollars in an impactful way.